Well, good morning and welcome everybody to Encounter Church. Uh, listen, before we begin, I just want to draw your attention to a little card you may have received at the door. Uh, it says Lions Share, Coworking for All. Uh, this is an idea that we're trying to, uh, to pilot and experiment around here uh, as an expression of one of our values, love where we live and also doing life together. Uh, what we're doing <clears throat> is, uh, is living out uh, some of these convictions that we had way back in the fall in a series called Making Monday Matter. It's just a show of hands real quick. How many of you remember being a part of, or when we did that series, Making Monday Matter, right? Okay, awesome. God does something with these series every once in a while, and it's just really, really cool uh, to see this happen. And one of those is, uh, is starting up a co-working space to try to like Make the connection between Sunday and Monday a little bit tighter, that God cares about the work that you do. And so some of us had this conviction to open up one of our locations, the Fulton Heights location, as a co-working space uh, for entrepreneurs, maybe people who, uh, who continue to work remotely, stay-at-home parents that want to get out of the house, uh, retirees, students. Mondays and Tuesdays, launching January 31st, uh, we received this outside grant from uh, Friends of Encounter that say, hey, listen, we got this space, let's use it through the week. And I just think it's the coolest thing, and I'm super proud of it. It's called Lion Share, by the way, because the, the name of the street is Lion Street downtown. So it, there's a reason, there's a method to the madness. Uh, listen, we're in a, we're in a series right now uh, called uh, Unfollow. And the idea behind this series is that uh, a lot of times in January, what we do is we add things to our lives. This Unfollow series is about taking things away, is about unfollowing, unsubscribing, canceling things. And so we started off in part one, unfollowing this audio clutter, unfollowing noise, and finding silence, listening to the voice of God in particular. Part two last weekend uh, was about unfollowing hurry and finding rest, but like a deeper rest, Sabbath kind of rest. Uh, today, today we're unfollowing empty religion, and uh, to kind of get us into this space, I'd like to share a story, a true story. Uh, when I was maybe 12, 13 years old, uh, what, we, uh, what we did as a, as a family, something new happened to us around Christmas time. Uh, my family invited in for the very first time uh, a guest. It was my older brother brought a girl to our house for family Christmas. I mean, some of you know, right, this is an old marriage axiom that you don't just marry somebody, you marry their whole family. So this is like a huge deal that she was coming over to be a part of our little weird Christmas celebration that morning. And so as a 12, 13-year-old, I thought, what better way to welcome this guest to our family uh, by being the weird little family we are. I was going to get her a present. And so 12, 13, I find the biggest box that I could. I think it was like a refrigerator box or something. It took like, now I'm thinking $80 worth of wrapping paper to like wrap the whole thing up. And inside that giant box that I wrote her name on it uh, to embarrass her most thoroughly, I, I made little boxes, like eight or nine little boxes inside of that big one and wrapped those all up. And in each one of those, I wrote a little note on a sticky note and a little sticky pad and, and stuck it in there so we could watch her like open up the big one, you know, center of attention in front of everybody. And then she thought it was going to be over, but no, no, but wait, there's more. There's like eight or nine other presents inside of that one. And every time she opened one up, she'd look at it and say, nope, not this one. Nope, try again. Nope, one more time. And she just see the note and keep opening boxes. I'm 12, but I thought it was hilarious. Looking back, I never remember anybody else in the family laughing. They didn't think it was funny. She didn't think it was funny. But I knew I was hilarious. 
I watched her open almost a dozen different Christmas presents, center of attention in front of everybody, before finally she gets to the last box. I'm rolling around laughing, and I just take out my pocket, and I just hand her a gift card, and I say, Merry Christmas. Here it is. Now, what I, what I learned through that experience is, again, you don't just marry somebody. You marry their whole weirdo family, just as a heads up. And also, my brother went on to marry her, so I feel a little bit better about that story. So, Jenny, if you're watching or listening, like, I'm sorry, 25 years later for what I did. And also, welcome to the family, uh, this weird little family that we have. Uh, nobody, you guys, nobody, and I realize that now looking back, wants to receive an empty gift, an empty box, especially on Christmas morning, with nothing inside of it. Yet, I think it's possible for those of us uh, identifying with Christ that our songs that we sing, the messages that we preach, the acts of service that we offer can be done in a way that like we just give them to God as an empty gift. It's shallow, it's vapid, there's, it's hollow, there's nothing to it. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. Nobody, especially not God, wants to receive from us an empty gift of faith, and especially calling it Christianity. Now, this is, this is, I think, how you know if you've got like this empty kind of, this uh, empty religion, the shallow faith, is if when you come into the Bible and you start opening it up, and you start doing your devotions maybe, and it's done without joy, without passion, it's done out of a sense, not even duty, but out of a sense of obligation or like a debt to pay. Like it's an empty religion, it's not worth hanging on to. God certainly doesn't appreciate it. Uh, when you've been forgiven, from so much, for so much. And when somebody harms you, you have a remarkably difficult time reflecting, emanating out the forgiveness that you've been offered. Like how could you, how could you be given so much and not extend it to somebody else? It might be true that you have this empty kind of hollow religion that doesn't come from God and it certainly isn't for God. This is a big one. When you know a lot of facts about God, you don't know the who of God personally. It's an empty faith. It's a hollow religion. Uh, Canadian pastor, Kerry Newhoff, he once, uh, once tweeted, and I just love it, so I, I saved it and remembered it, that the average North American Christian is about 3,000 verses overweight. And I, just, I love the, the picture, right? Because uh, so oftentimes what we've fallen for is this assumption that knowledge automatically leads us to Christian maturity. And that's not the promise of the Bible. In fact, a lot of times we hang on to the Bible as the word of God, sometimes forgetting that it's actually the point of the Bible is to reveal to us the God behind the Bible. The Bible isn't the point. God is the point behind the Bible. Like when we use phrases like the Bible says, no, 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 the Bible didn't say anything. God through the Bible speaks. That's, that's why it's significant. That, there's this pithy little saying, this, this aphorism uh, that goes, Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. 
Now, I, I want to address that, I guess, a little bit because there's a way to get this thing remarkably wrong, especially within that little aphorism, which I, I love. I think, it's kind of, I think it's kind of helpful, full disclosure. But it starts to become a bit problematic when you focus not at all on the religion. Let's say that's like the set of beliefs, uh, the, the expected behaviors, uh, living with a high moral integrity, etc. Uh, religion, it's not just that. It's not that. It's a relationship. A relationship especially a romantic one, is intended to be personal and it's intended to be private. And so when we define Christianity as nothing more than just this personal and private relationship with God in isolation, that's when things start to get weird. True story that I heard about yesterday is somebody who, lifelong Christian, works for God, and ran away from his wife with a woman and her husband because, quote, God wanted me to. When your faith is expressed as nothing more than a relationship with God, it is so easily twisted and manipulated so that you can twist God into saying and urging something, anything that we want him to. And it becomes hollow. And it becomes like empty. It's a shell because it's just a relationship. And there's no substance to it. There's no framework to it. There's no skeleton on it holding it all together. But church, like at the same time, uh, Christianity is just the rules. as just the ritual. Christianity is just the set of beliefs, even a set of behaviors. is just as empty and is just as hollow as the one that's just a relationship. So these things are like being held in tension with one another. And, and there's no one that I think can, can help us tease these things apart and to help us like walk this line and make the adjustments necessary to live the fullest life in Jesus. Nobody does this better than Jesus himself. Walking this line, holding these things in tension with one another, religion, relationship, how do we move forward? How do we prevent holding on to just an empty, hollow shell of religion? So Jesus tells the story masterfully. And it's a beautiful story. I'm convinced it's going to go down in history, and it already has, as like one of the most beautiful stories ever. He tells the story of a kid who just screws his life up. I mean, there's no better way of putting it, right? He looks at his dad, and he goes, hey, dad, we kind of, we both know where this thing is heading, right? Like, I don't love you. You, you know, have some feelings, I guess, for me. But listen, like, the point is, I don't love you. Uh, where this thing is going is we're going to go our separate ways. Eventually, you're going to die, and I'm going to get half of your money. So can we just, like, call this thing what it is and uh, fast forward to the end? You know, even though you, like, you're not dead yet, but can we just pretend you're dead? And then I could get half of your money. I could get, like, my inheritance and, and kind of move on with life. And remarkably, when Jesus is telling this story, the father says, okay, and goes along with it. Uh, specifically, literally, the father says, and uh, he split his Greek word as bios, where we get biology, the living things study. Uh, he split his bios, his life, his livelihood. He split his life between these two brothers. The younger one uh, runs away and just uh, spends it all down to nothing, right? Just blows the whole thing on Bubblegum and baseball cards. Updated for this generation, blows it all on NFTs and Bitcoin, right? Just like everything is now gone, okay? Nothing against, we'll talk about it later. Uh, 
younger brother, everything is gone. He gets to the place where he's on his back looking up at the bottom half of a pig. And he's going, what have I done? So Jesus tells the story. He goes, he's coming to his senses and he recognizes, I need to go, I need to go home. How many of my father's hired servants have, uh, have more than enough? I just, I'll try to get hired back. I'll own my mistakes. He's going back. He's practicing his I'm sorry speech. What he didn't know is his dad was on the porch. We don't know how long. My sense is years. Is on the porch every day looking, watching, waiting, staring at the hill, waiting for his his son to come over and come back home. And then he does. Right? It's a beautiful story. The kid tries his speech. Dad, I'm sorry. I sinned against heaven and against... Dad says, shh, just, just and hugs him tighter. You know, you're back. I thought, I assumed you were dead and you're alive. It's a beautiful story. It's the story of God. But that's not where the story ends. You see, for a lot of us, maybe we were that younger brother who ran away, messed life up, and then came back, and then came back home. And God is always waiting, and he's always watching for you to come on back home. It's beautiful. But the problem is, y'all are in church right now, right? Like, you're watching or you're listening online. Like there's some part of you that isn't the screw-up little younger brother, at least not anymore. That part of the story, beautiful as it is, may have applied to you once. It likely isn't the part of the story that applies to you now. Where we pick it up, and I think for many of us, certainly myself included, we pick it up in the second act of the story in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 25. Listen. This is how the story goes. Meanwhile, the younger brother with a parting is all going on. Son is alive again. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Those of you who are nutritionally vegan inclined, you will be happy to note that killing the fattened calf was rare. It's important for our story just how exceptionally rare it was for something like this to happen. It didn't just go on all the time. This was that big of a deal. And the older brother is out in the field, and it's the Middle East. Like, I, I don't know how hot it is, but I just assume it's real hot, you know? Like, over 100 degrees, hot sun, guys working out there all day. It's hot. He hears music. He hears dancing inside. What in the world is going on? He hears that it's a party, and he's angry. He's frustrated. Now, remember, two acts of the story, the screw-up younger brother and the, and the diligent older brother. Jesus is talking to two groups of people. He's talking to the Pharisees, and, or he's talking, to the, he's talking to the tax collectors and sinners over here, younger brother, and he's talking to the, to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious authority, and now everybody's kind of like giving, giving the Pharisees the, the side eyes over here, like, how are they going to respond? Yeah, that's exactly the point. Verse 28, the older brother, the older brother becomes angry and refused to go into the party. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he asked his father, look, 
All these years, note this, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you gave me, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Not his family, not his father, his, his friends. But when this son of yours, he doesn't even call him his brother, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, it wasn't bubblegum, <laughs> has come home, you kill the fattened calf for him? What we're introduced to in this little eloquently written passage is a, is a new kind of lostness. Like we get the younger brother kind of lostness. We get to run away, squander everything, screw up your life. You know, he's, he's coming home with, with baggage. He's coming home with hurts. He's coming home with stories. He's coming home with a hangover. He's coming home with, with an addiction. He's coming home into withdrawal symptoms. Like he's coming home with all of that stuff. We get the usual kind of lost story. What Jesus introduces us to here is a new kind of lostness. He's introducing a new kind of lostness that's cleaner. That's hardworking. A new kind of lostness marked by these words, all these years I've been slaving. And I never disobeyed your orders, Dad. Except he doesn't even call him Dad. In fact, uh, if you were just given uh, the narrative of the older brother in the story, you would have no reason to ever even think that he and the old man were related at all. You know, this son of yours, like not my brother, this, this screw up son of yours. You know, and you never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Not that I care anything about you, old man. All these years I've been slaving away for you. Never disobeying your orders. Okay, is he, a, is he some kind of master over him? Is he drill sergeant and next in, highest in rank? Like, what's the deal here? You would never even know that they're related. Have you ever found that some of the most religious people that you've gotten to know can also be some of the most unloving people? And you're like, how does that happen? I think somehow it happens by getting this, this tension wrong. Is it just a religion of rules and rituals and believing and behaving the right way? Or is it a life-changing relationship? We, we get this thing wrong. Especially as the older brother, those of us who identify as older brother-ish, we get it wrong by trying to do it ourselves. I shared this story a couple of years ago, but... It's a, it's a doozy, and it's memorable, so you know, buckle up. Uh, true story. At, uh, some friends of ours uh, sent their kids you know, away to, to go play, and those of you who are parents or have taken care of little kids, uh, you know that like, there's a certain expected level of noise uh, from the littles in your house, and when it like, drops to a certain level, it starts to become very, very suspicious. Especially like as it goes on for a little while, and you're like, well, now I have to investigate. And so uh, mom goes and investigates and goes upstairs, goes to the door of the bathroom, and already she knows something has gone remarkably wrong because there, 
there's a pungent aroma emanating out of that space. She opens the doors. She sees the boy. And, and there's poop every, everywhere, like smeared on the walls, mirror, sink, like all over. She's looking, she's looking at the boy. And now it's just, it's too much. So she's got to do like one of these numbers, right? Masks before they were cool. And she's like, what happened? And she looks closer and she can see it's like on his face. And she goes, how did you get poop on your face? And he looks back at his mom and he goes, I had an accident and I tried to clean myself up. And I'm sorry for the parent who had to deal with that whole thing, but like this is the perfect illustration of religion without a relationship, of like trying desperately older brother kind of faith to clean ourselves up before our God. And the harder we work at cleaning ourselves up, the more nasty we just find ourselves. You wonder, how does somebody become one of the most unloving people with all religion and no relationship? And it's like, that's how. They've worked so hard at cleaning themselves up I've just completely lost it. And and, and to describe something like that in a word, it's, it's just disgusting. Church, God doesn't want you to try harder. He wants you to trust deeper. The older brother, he's he's outside, he's angry, he refuses to go in. It does not take an advanced degree in family systems theory to look at this situation and go, something's wrong. Because dad is probably having the best day of his life. His kid is back. He thought he was dead, now he's back. He's celebrating. There's a party. And yet, the older brother is outside and refuses to go in. Get something straight here. Like, Like, what's going on? On some level, this is, a, this is a son coming home story. The father wasn't celebrating his son coming back home. His father was celebrating his family being whole again. And as the older brother is outside and refusing to go in, He's robbing his dad of that. It's a power move. It's control. Dad, I don't have much left. Nope, boss, I don't have much leverage over you, but I do have this. I can take away your whole family. For those of us, and every single one of us, I think at one point or another, is in that category. Trying to control, trying to manipulate the outcome, trying to pull the levers of God to make him obey us. Because we've never disobeyed. We never messed up. It wasn't my fault, God. Now, you got to pull through. you got to show up. I showed up for you. For those of us who have ever been tempted, like the older brother, to maintain control, know this. That God, God can do so much more. He can do infinitely more with your surrender than you can with your control, than I can with my control. He's not asking for perfection. He's asking 
for surrender. And he's pleading with his son to help make this family whole. You know, there's two kinds of ways to be your own Lord and Savior. The one way is the classic way with badness. I can do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. It's my body, it's my life, step off. Well, we get that. You're your own Lord and Savior, I get it. But the other way is with goodness. God, I prayed, I fasted, I read your Bible, I asked for wise counsel, and you didn't show up. He still got sick. They still lost their job. Life just continues to struggle on. I'm doing my, I'm doing my side, God. Time for you to do yours too. But the, 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 the father in the story, verse 31, the father, just two words, two profound words. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything that I have is yours. There's so much there. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. I love in the story that for all that's changed, the little brother with the older brother, the father never stopped being a dad. He's outside. He's begging with him. My son, my son, come in. Come into the party. It's for you too. It's our family being whole again. And that's how the story ends. In a way, Jesus is, is writing you and I into it. And he's saying, I'm not going to tell you what happens with them because they're not the point you are. How are you going to finish the story? Now, I led this one. I led into this one with this kind of leading that says, I don't think many of us at this stage in our life, because we're here, because we're tuning in this way, I don't think we're the, old, we're the younger brother. I think where we are is likely the older brother. And I don't, I don't want to just automatically assume like every single one of us are, are in the older brother camp. But let me just ask, are, are we a little, are we older brother-ish? <laughs> if we're not the older brother, are we older brother-ish? Do we have some kind of older, older brother tendencies? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a few words on the screen and unpack them a little bit. And if, and if you kind of identify with some of these, like, like, I'm just going to dial some numbers, and if your phone rings, I'm just, pick it up. Like, the Holy Spirit has something for you. But this is, this is what it means to be older brother, older brother-ish. If you've got anger, specifically anger, like, in the up direction, anger at God for holding out on you, because, because I did my part, God, now you have to do yours, and being angry about that. May I remind you of somebody who actually never messed up, who actually never screwed up, and there was only one, and his name was Jesus, and he lived a perfect life, and how did that turn out for him? He didn't promise, God didn't promise an easy life. He promised a good life. He promised a purpose-filled life, but it did not promise an easy life. And why would we become angry at God for not giving us one? May it be because of an empty, hollow religion. Anger, next one, mechanical obedience. Obedience to get something from God. You obey to get something from God instead of to do something for God. Next one is a coldness. 
particularly in your, in your relationship with God. There's a Canadian psychologist named Jordan Peterson. Two Canadians in one message, by the way. That's a record. Anyway, Jordan Peterson, 12 Rules for Life. Um, one of the things he, uh, he says uh, in, a, in a speech I watched him give one time is, is he goes, on a psychological level, uh, marriage, uh, marriage requires at least one hour of hoping, dreaming, and building together in order for it to be an actual psychologically relationship. Otherwise, you're just two people sort of living life alongside one another. And so this looks like uh, you know, walking and talking. This looks like date nights, like whatever it is, but one hour every week of hoping, dreaming, building together. If that's what it takes on a psychological level to make a relationship, I just wonder what it takes with God. You know, are we spending that time hoping, dreaming, building together with our maker every single week or spread out throughout the week? This is coldness. Mark's older brother-ish, lacking assurance of the father's love. You know, the older brother goes, hey, he, boss, you never, you never threw me a party like that. What's the deal? Not even a goat to celebrate with my friends. He's like desperately like reaching out. Why haven't you ever done anything like that for me? Do you, do you care about me? Do you still, do you love me? Older brother-ish like needs that constant assurance because he thinks it's based out of his behavior. Like when we make the mistake of thinking that there's anything that we can do to make God love us more, we've become older brother-ish. His love is based on our obedience. If there's anything that we could do to make God love us less, it's older brother-ish. Last one is critical spirit. Finding faults in other people, particularly the younger brothers among us. If you find yourself living out an older brother-ish kind of faith, mechanical obedience, coldness, anger at God for holding out on you. Remember two things, that God doesn't want you to try harder. He wants you to trust deeper. And remember that God can do more, infinitely more with your surrender than you and I can with our control. What does... uh, what does a good older brother look like? I think to, to end our time together, I think it, it's worth exploring a good older brother wouldn't stay outside of the party. A good older brother wouldn't try to manipulate and control his dad. A good older brother would have become the host of the party. A good older brother would, would go after his younger brother when he went missing instead of taking over his job in his absence. A good older brother would look a lot like Daniel Dawson did. And Donald, his brother. Uh, Daniel was, uh, was a pilot in the U.S. military. He was flying reconnaissance over, over Vietnam when his plane was shot down. Not knowing whether his younger brother was still alive or not, Donald, his older brother, too old for the draft, but with still some energy left in him to go after his younger brother. Stateside sells everything that he had. Sold his stuff, fire sale, yard sale, get rid of it, raising money. Sold his house to buy passage and supplies to get to Vietnam. 
to enter and to walk through the Vietnam, uh, Viet Cong controlled jungle, looking, searching, seeking, trying to save his younger brother at risk of great personal harm. He learned a few Vietnamese phrases. Remember, this is the 1960s. This is before smartphones and Google Maps. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what danger was still in front of him. But with just some basic supplies and a couple field guides on how to get to wherever it was that he was trying to go, he picks up a few Vietnamese phrases and he has these pamphlets printed out and he's going, have you seen this man? No. Have you seen this plane? No. And he's just going through village to village, searching out, seeking out, trying to save the life of his little brother. That's, that's what an older brother does. Life magazine in the 70s wrote a story on him and the, the Vietnamese people began to give him a name. They called him An Toi Phi Kong, which means the brother of the pilot. He was known as the brother, the older brother. You have an older brother like that. You have an older brother who would do that for you. Some of you have gone through life and religion was just a set of rules and beliefs. And I want you to know that you have a relationship on the end of this thing. You've got a brother who would do that for you. And his name is Jesus. That on the last night before he died, he knew he was about to get arrested. He knew he was about to die. He called his shot a long time ago. He knew this night was it. And he spends it with 12 of his closest friends, all 12, knowing that one of them was about to betray him and cause his arrest and subsequent death. Just a day later, he knew Judas would turn his back on him. Yet this is the kind of older that chooses to have dinner with his betrayer on the night before he caused his own death. That's an older brother who no matter what will seek out and to save you and I who are lost. You have an older brother like that. Empty religion, hollow religion is about putting people into a couple categories. Empty religion is about good people and bad people. But Jesus, Christianity, is about new people. It's about saving people. That's the power. Not just a set of rules, but a relationship. Church, can I, can I ask you to stand up as we, as we talk to God? Imagine that. We get to just go into his presence, into his fellowship, and to have a conversation uh, God, we enter your presence into your throne room. And Lord, we're humbled that you would, you would take the meeting. But that's what an older brother does. He cares. You care for us. You care about us. You care about our concerns. You care about our hopes. You care about our dreams. God, you're on the move. Lord, I pray that some of us who have been going through the motions and have turned this thing into a set of rules to live by or a set of beliefs to hold on to. God, I pray that you do a new thing today. Something for the first time or for the first time in a long time that you would 
relate with us by being our already good. Give us thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.